Blessed are you, Adonai, our God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us with his commandments, commanded us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. Please, Adonai, our God, sweeten the words of your Torah in our mouth and the mouth of your people, the house of Israel. May we and our offspring and the offspring of the people of the house of Israel, all of us, know your name and study your Torah for its own sake. Blessed are you, Adonai, who teaches Torah to his people, Israel. I'd like to begin by making a couple of comments with respect to the uh, Haftar reading from uh, this morning. Notice that it says that uh, King David, the man after God's own heart, the, uh, the apple, as it were, of God's eye, so to speak, that King David said to his son, be sure and follow the Torah, follow the word of God, right? Follow the law of God, Why? So that you can be a man. Being a man is, in the, in the eyes of King David, is equivalent to being a Torah true man. So uh, real men keep Torah. It would be the bumper sticker that, that's the bumper sticker that, that King David had on his SUV. But it's also interesting to note that it said there that King David had reigned in Jerusalem for 33 years. Just so happens that Messiah Yeshua was uh, 33. They're reigning in Jerusalem as well. Baruch Hashem. Chapter 11. The whole earth was of one language and of common purpose. And it came to pass when they migrated from the east, they found a valley in the land of Shinar and settled there. They said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them in the fire. And the bricks served them as stone, and the bituim served them as mortar. And they said, Come, let us build a city and a tower with its top to heaven. Let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed across the whole earth. Adonai descended to look at the city and tower which the sons of man built. And Adonai said, Behold, they are one complete people with one language for all. And this they began to do, and now should it not be withheld from them all they proposed to do. That's the power of unity. It's been spoken of many times in various commentaries. The power of unity is great, and we can do many things together, stronger together, right? That's one of the common themes you hear very often, which the converse of that is that disunity weakens, right? So what do you think the enemy wants to do? Just asking. Just put it, put it together. So the, the enemy likes to bring disunity and disharmony, which is why the sages talk about, the Bible talks about the fact that Precious are the peacemakers, those who bring peace between brethren. Why? Because they're bringing unity when they're bringing strength. You know, I was reading, just as an aside, I was reading something from Rabbi Steinsaltz, getting ready for the class on Wednesday nights that we have just started for conversion. And he points out the people who make teshuva, and he's talking about people who... um, in this particular case, he's talking about the people who had a connection with God, but then they fell away, and now they're ashamed because they want to make tshuva, but they're going to have to eat crow a little bit. You know, all those kind of pride issues come into effect. We know people like that, right? They, they're following God, and then something happens. They have a failure in their life, then they get away from God. They really want to return, but there's that pride, the embarrassment, and all those kind of things. And then they think, well, what good it is anyway? I had a really strong connection, and then I broke it, and now I don't have any connection, but how can I get reconnected? But Rabbi Steinsalt points out that when you cut a rope and then you tie it together in a knot, it's actually stronger. So the one who makes teshuva is therefore actually spiritually stronger than the one who's never fallen away. Does it mean we want to fall away? Of course not. But the point being is that when we fall away and come back, that's when you have the stronger bond. Why do you have the stronger bond? Because you already know what happened, right? You already fall away and you go over there and you know it's nothing. You know the grass is greener on the other side. You get over there and you find out it's a desert. The grass was a mirage. 
Right, mazel, astroturf. You get over there, you're astroturf, you don't realize you're starving to death. Anyway, so you want to come back and make the strong bond, the bond stronger. That's how the enemy plays you, by the way. He'll say, look, the grass is greener over there. You get over there, you realize it was a mirage. And then you realize that the enemy lied to you. And then while you're over there, the enemy says, you can't go back. That's how he gets you. You can't go back. They, they laugh at you. They don't want you back anyway. I had somebody tell Zaken Rayford recently. Zaken Rayford told this person, we miss you. The person left and the person said, I thought everybody would hate me. It's like, we don't hate you. We miss you. But that's the other way, the enemy. They all hate you over there. You left, right? They hate you over there. Don't go back. They hate you. They'll stone you when you show up. Because Rabbi Griffin, you know how mean he is. <laughs> He's known for being vicious. That's right. Believe that. <laughs> so it's come, let us descend. Even little Bo, they came to visit the office. He didn't want to come to my office. He says, I heard what goes on in there. I said, Bo, come on. I'm sitting at my desk. Bo, come here. Come see me. No, he's not coming. Come, let us descend. And there confuse their language that they should not understand one another's language. Hashem dispersed them from there over the face of the whole earth, and they stopped building the city. That is why it was called Babel. Because it was there that Adonai confused the language of the whole earth, and from there Adonai scattered them over the face of the whole earth. Now these are the descendants of Shem. Shem was 100 years old when he begot Arpachshad, two years after the flood, and Shem lived 500 years after beginning Arpachshad, and he begot sons and daughters. Arpachshad lived 35 years when he begot Shelah, and Arpachshad lived 403 years after begetting Shelah, and he begot sons and daughters. Shelah lived 30 years when he begot Eber, and Shelah lived... 403 years after beginning Eber, and begot sons and daughters. Eber lived 34 years when he begot Peleg, and Eber lived 430 years after beginning Peleg, and he begot sons and daughters. When Peleg had 30, lived 30 years, he begot Reu, and Peleg lived 209 years after beginning Reu, and he begot sons and daughters. Then Reu had lived 32 years and begot Saruk. And Reu lived 207 years after beginning Saruk, and he begot sons and daughters. When Sarok had lived 30 years, he begot Nahor. And Sarok lived 200 years after beginning Nahor, and he begot sons and daughters. When Nahor had lived 29 years, he begot Terah. And Nahor lived 119 years after beginning Terah, and he begot sons and daughters. When Terah had lived 70 years, he begot Avram, Nahor, and Haran. Now, these are the chronicles of Terah. Terah begot Avram, Nahor, and Haran, and Haran begot Lot. Haran died in the lifetime of Terah, his father, in, in the native land, in Ur-Hasdim. And Avram and Nahor took themselves wives. The name of Avram's wife was Sarai. The name of Nahor's wife was Milcah. And the daughter, of, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah, and the father of Iscah. Iscah is another name for Sarai. And Sarai was barren, and she had no children. Terah took his son Avram and Lot, the son of Haran, his grandson, and his daughters-in-law, Sarai, the wife of Avram, his son. And they departed with them from ur Kasdim to go to the land of Canaan. They arrived at Haran, and they settled there. The days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. I want to begin by looking at this story of the Tower of, of Babel, see what we can glean from this story. And how we can relate it back to what hap is going on, or what goes on rather, in our, in our day and age, as it were. It's interesting because there's an insight that's brought down from the Kehot Humash, talking about this generation of the flood, uh, generation after the flood, I should say, that wanted to build a tower, and. Yeshua talked about the fact that when the Mashiach is going to come, that it will be like unto the days of Noah. Okay? And there's lots of things we could say about the days of Noah. We could say 
Um, you know, was, there was the Batri, there was uh, Hamas, there was things like that going on. But the, the days of Noah also include the days after the flood, correct? Because those are also the days of Noah. So what was going on with the generation of the days of Noah after the flood? Which, what was the reason they were building the tower to, to Babel? It sounds crazy when we actually think about the motive of building the tower. Some of the things seem really, really stupid and really crazy. The other things seem also kind of crazy, but yet we're still doing that today. What am I talking about? Well, first of all, we have to understand something. that the, to, to us, what seems crazy, but we're dealing now with a generation that was only five generations removed from Adam. I'm going to suggest that they had a little bit clearer insight into God and the ways of God than we do today. I'm going to suggest that they kind of understood heavenly power a little bit better than we understand it today. In fact, the sages talk about Abraham, that angels were, Abraham was so accustomed to having angels in and around his camp that his children grew up like that. This is why when Jacob saw the camps of angels, he said, oh, look, a camp of angels. Hey, guys, come over here. I want to give you all a message to send to my brother Esau. He didn't say, oh, my gosh, angels. We bow down and we go crazy. He's like, oh, look, angels. Hey, angels, come here for a second. I've got, I want you to send a message. Singing telegram to my brother Esau. That's how normal it was. And then, by the way, the angels were in the land of Mitzrayim. I mean, excuse me, not Mitzrayim, the land of, of, uh, of Israel. So anyway, the Kehol Tumash brings down that Nimrod had convinced the people that God was being presumptuous. Nimrod had risen to power, and he had convinced all the people that God was being presumptuous by relegating humanity to the earth while reserving heaven for himself alone. So part of the reason we, the people were trying to build a tower is because they wanted to make war with God. The sages bring down one point that they got to the, towards the top of the tower and they were shooting arrows into heaven. And so God made their arrows fall back to the earth with blood on them. So that it was a ruse that Hashem should want them to think that they were actually hitting something and hurting it in order to keep them building the tower, which is actually a scary thought. This goes back to the, to the rabbinical idea, which is talked about in the book of Romans, the letter of, of Romans, that God, once you choose a path of destruction, once you choose a path of lies, and you that's, you, you plant your flag there. That's what you want. God will let you go down that path. In fact, he'll make a way for you. Now, why did the Apostle Paul, when he wrote the book of Rome, letter to the Romans, why did he put that in there? Because Paul was a Pharisaical Jew. There's nothing new in the New Testament. He's simply reiterating what was already well known, which is that once you choose to be deceived, Hashem will not only let you be deceived, but in some cases will help you be deceived. Now, that sounds kind of counterintuitive, but why is that the case? Because through your disobedience, God will get the glory. Now you say, well, that sounds terrible. How can God do that? No, 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 no. You're the problem. You chose it. And once you pulled that ticket and said, I'm going on that train, God said, okay, I'll use you. I'll be glorified with whom I'll be glorified. You want to choose that route, I'll let you go down that route. Now, I'm going to use you for my purposes, but just understand, you chose this. We, we get mad at God, and it didn't work out, and we shake our fists and go, how could you let this happen to me? Say, well, you, made, you forgot me when you made the decision. We want freedom of choice unless we choose something that he told us not to choose and it works out bad, then we want to blame him. Right? Nobody likes that because we live in an age where nobody wants to take personal responsibility. It's not my fault. It's somebody else's fault. I am broke as a joke because somebody in some tower that I've never met somewhere is keeping me down. Right? That makes us feel better. So anyway, it says he convinced humanity that God was being presumptuous by reserving heaven for himself. 
And it was therefore necessary to show God that they were challenging this arrogance by building a tower that would reach upward into the heavens. That is, we're going to invade his domain. Furthermore, he convinced them that the flood was simply a natural, periodic occurrence that would repeat itself every 1,656 years. He had the Mayan calendar. He just said, look, there's going to be a flood every 1,656 years. He was the original director of the Day After Tomorrow movie. <laughs> it says, for this reason, now listen to this, for this reason, they should also build the tower so that they could reach into the clouds so that they could take measures to control the rainfall, if need be. In other words, they were trying to build a natural edifice in order to control the climate. Because they believed that climate could be controlled by man. Oh, come on, see? Y'all just now got it. Y'all were asleep thinking about the snow. You just now realize that the environmental wacko religion is a religion that's ancient of days. That goes all the way back to Babel, which later would become Babylon, which is all about the idea that man has the power to control climate. You didn't realize that was demonic, did you? So you didn't realize that it's man's arrogance to suggest that we have the power to control the climate. And that if we want to stop a hurricane, all we got to do is do certain things to prevent that from happening. Yet with all of our expertise and with all of our ingenuity, with all of our technology, we cannot even cause a hurricane to slow down, much less stop it. You ever think about that? We want to stop, we want to control the climate by, you know, doing this or doing that, whatever you think that is, having paper straws or whatever. Oh, don't get me wrong, I'm all about the environment. I mean, it just drives me crazy when people throw trash out their window. I just want to drive their car off the freeway, but in love. But at the same time, I realized that, you know, we can stop selling plastic bags, but we can't even, we can't even look at a hurricane and, and try to get it to go from a category one to a category nothing. No matter what we did, we can't, we can't stop it. But people are so crazy, they think we can Somebody once said, and they weren't kidding, they were talking in one of those man-on-the-street interviews, and uh, somebody actually said, they weren't kidding, this was a real-life person who had a real-life opinion. Because when I tell you this, you're going to go, Rabbi, no, that's serious, this happened. Recently, like this last year, this last hurricane season, this guy said, listen, if the problem is that the ocean is warm and that causes hurricanes, We've got a big navy. Why can't they just go out to the middle of the ocean and dump a bunch of bags of ice into the ocean and lower the temperature? And uh, they took him out of the ocean and they, made, they dropped him in the ocean. No, he didn't. But you're laughing out there because you think it's so stupid and yet, that's where we live right now. We want to build a tower to control rainfall. Now, you think I'm being political, but I'm not. It's about religion. See, there is a why to everything. There is a why to everything. Why do we have these ideas, which are so stupid? There's nothing we can do to stop any of it. There is a... Uh, Y'all know that Hawaii is a volcano, right? 
There is a, my dad would know this because he lived there. <laughs> um, there is a place that spews out this poisonous gas near the volcano. And it's, I mean, all this, I mean, basically, if you got near this thing, you'd die. Eh, you'd be dead. There's more, there's more environment killing emissions that come out of that hole in the earth than every car on the planet could put out in like 20 years. Just look it up. Don't believe me. Just go there and look it up. That little, that one little place on the earth, there's more greenhouse gases that come out of that thing. And we, and by the way, how come we haven't gone there and plugged that up? I mean, really, we make corkscrews for, I mean, corks for wine bottles. Why can't we just put a big cork, bloop, 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 and we're done, man. Carbon footprint gone. Now, again, you might be saying, what are you talking about all this politics? It's not politics. It's religion. That's what you have to understand. That's the trick. It's a faith. And the faith is ultimately in what? Man, which is what? Idolatry. It's Nimrod saying to us that we have the power to control the climate. Therefore, we need to build a tower and make war with heaven. That's why we're sacrificing babies with uh, abortion, just like we did in Egypt. Do you realize that the Egyptians actually made in part some of the bricks with babies? We're going to find out that the tower itself was built on a, on a grave site of, of bodies. So it says here, um, they too built a tower that would reach into the clouds so they could take measurement, measure to control the rain. They therefore had to look for a place where they could all congregate and build such a tower. So they went to the Valley of Shinar. Now, Rabbeinu Bakya has another um, point to this I just want to share. He says, looking at this story from a rational point of view, the words, and let us make a name for ourselves, must be understood thus. The people of that generation were advanced in matters of philosophy and even technology. These were not cave people. They're smarter than us, right? They had the original apple. They said, however, they used their intelligence in a sinful manner. Intelligence is not bad. It depends on how you use it, just like a gun. A gun's not dangerous. A person is dangerous, just like a car. I won't go down that road. Never mind. They constructed the city and tower to protect themselves against a deluge of fire. Why? Because they knew that God said he would never flood the earth again, but they knew that the next time the earth was going to be renewed or destroyed, it was going to be, used, be done with fire. Y'all thought that was new in Revelations too, didn't you? Oh, y'all thought that was new, see. Y'all thought that, that John just thought that up in the book of Revelations, not realizing that the idea that the earth would be consumed in fire goes all the way back to the Tower of Babel. They knew that God was going to do it too. They knew that God would send a flood, if you will, a fire. So they were building the tower in order to control the fire. So it says... This is what the word war in the Midrash refers to when it says they prepared to contend with heavenly forces such as angels against the will of the Lord. They tried to isolate and tame the power of fire in order to neutralize its deadly effect so that it could not engulf their city. The author quotes scientists, or science rather, for his discussion here. They wanted to control the power of fire. Uh, according to Mayam Loez, these were preppers. It says, what these people did, this is Mayam Loez, what these people did was based on a basic error. They knew that the flood had occurred 1,656 years after creation, and they became obsessed with the fact that it, this was a cyclical phenomenon. So what they did is they tried to figure out a way to escape the future flood. They would build a very tall structure, 
which could not be washed away by any flood. Then if God ever brought another flood to the world, they would have a safe place to wait it out. They were preppers. Right? And building, because you know, if you could, because you, God can't, if you, if you prepare, you prepare a big enough, strong enough structure, God can't break it. In building the tower, you know that um, um, General, uh, World War II famous General, General Patton. General Patton was famous for saying that fortifications are monuments to the stupidity of man. General Patton said fortifications are monuments to the stupidity of man. Because General Patton knew that any fortification, no, no matter how strong it was, can be defeated by an attacking army. <clears throat> so it says, in building the tower, the people said that they were making it lest we be scattered around the face of the earth. They were saying that we shall make ourselves a shelter so that if another flood comes, we will not be dashed about and scattered over the land. So they made this tower. It was complete rebellion to God because... In, in, instead of complying with God's will, they wanted to control God. Instead of dealing with God's rules, the rules of the game, they wanted to change the rules of the game. There was a man named Asher who, was a, who protested this. He, this was talked about in last, uh, the last chapter, uh, Ashur. The Midrash Shabbat, to Midrash Rabbah Noach 37, Simon 4, says, Asher, our Midrash tells us, did not leave his homeland to seek adventure or fortune. Because it says that Asher went away. He, he walked away from all of this. It says he left in protest against the growing rebellion against God. He was the lone voice of dissent from the evil consensus forged by Nimrod and his ilk. Goes on to say, how difficult must it have been for him to abandon his home, forego his social status, and give up his, his land possessions and venture out into exile. He was the only one who stood up and said, this is ridiculous, this is stupid, you can't control the climate, you can't control God, you're not going to be able to defeat heaven, I'm going, I'm leaving. But it says in our, um, the chronology, that Asher was the one who built Nineveh. And that it was because, the sages bring down, it was because Asher was willing to walk away and say, I don't want anything to do with this rebellion against God. I don't want anything to do with this. He was willing to leave his, the, leave his home, go out into exile all by himself. Nobody supported him. Nobody followed him. He was, he was being ridiculed and harassed on Facebook all the time. He said, I'm out. But he later built Nineveh, and the sages bring down that it's because of his willingness, it's in the merit of that decision that God was able to spare Nineveh, which led Nineveh to becoming a, a people that were willing to make teshuva. Because of this man's walking away. In fact, it goes on to say about the Ninevites, about how they made teshuva. It says the sages provide some details of that effort. It says theft had been especially rampant in Nineveh. And now the community launched an unparalleled campaign of restitution. People dismantled their houses to retrieve stolen bricks and return them to their rightful owners. They unraveled clothing in order to return stolen thread. They uprooted vineyards in order to return stolen plantings. They even traced the owners of objects found lost in the field. Scrupulous honesty became the new venture in Nineveh. In one case, the buyer of an old decrepit house found an ancient treasure hidden on the property. When he insisted on returning it to the seller, the later denied having any you know, claim to it. 
unable to resolve their dispute, they went to court and the amazed judges decided to research the matter, and he found a descendant of the long-deceased occupant who had hidden the cachet, and all parties gladly conceded to give the treasure to him. Now, the, a takeaway from the story can be that to remember, as I've oft-repeated, that what we do today is not about us, even though human nature wants it to be about us. The trials and tribulations we go through and, and to press through and to be pioneers in our faith, to be pioneers after God, are, are going to pay dividends. Don't get me wrong. They're going to pay dividends in your life. and They're going to pay dividends in your immediate family. But you've got to look at it like Ashur. You've got to look at the one day down the road, you may have a Nineveh that needs to be saved. And Nineveh is going to be saved. The whole city, hundreds of thousands of people are going to be saved because you walked away from Babel. And sometimes one of the, the enemy gets us discouraged and you're all by yourself and you've walked away and all this kind of stuff is not going right in your life and you're getting down, you get the three D's, depressed, discouraged, despondent. Not realizing that you walking away is so that Nineveh down the generations can be transformed. We have 12 disciples. One of them walked away. Somebody took his place, which is another life lesson. There's always somebody that can take your place. So we all like to think that we're indispensable, but we're not. That includes yours truly. If, God forbid, I lost my mind totally went insane. I pray the Zakins would tackle me and the Talmudim would beat me up. But if that happened, God forbid, somebody would take my place. Because everybody has giftings that God has given you for the mission, but if you refuse to do it, he'll find somebody else. Because his mission will be, his word will not return to him void. We get the joy of being on the winning team. There was no concern for human life in Babel. It says here the tower was tremendously high. We're going to learn it in just a moment just for the sake of history and fun how high it was. But the tower was tremendously high. It contained two sets of stairs, one on the east side and one on the west side. The eastern stairs were used by those who were carrying bricks up, while the western stairs were used for those who were bringing the bricks down to get, or, or, or excuse me, going down to get new bricks, excuse me. It says, if a person slipped and fell, the others did not grieve for the man who was killed, rather they would cry and grieve over the brick that was lost. People say, well, how is it that we, are, we just have so, um, we have such disdain these days for human life? We don't care about human life. We want, we'd rather have our stuff or we'd rather have animals or whatever. Somebody got up at the, uh, I just, I heard on the news, so I don't watch this nonsense. I just, you know, I just don't. But, you know, what do they call those golden globes or whatever? Um, whatever. Um, somebody got up and said, some lady I've never heard of her before, got up and said that, I'm standing here and I won this and it's so great. Look at this thing. I would not have been here today to win this thing had I not aborted my baby. Somebody rightly commented on that thread. Child sacrifice. That woman sacrificed a soul. Sacrificed a human being so that she could win a trinket. That was her brick. She would probably have to be, spend a couple days in a mental institution if somebody broke her trinket. And I'm not being facetious. Yet she can stand up on a stage in front of countless millions and say, I killed a baby so that I could earn this. And people applauded her. And we, you know, Celia, 
said to me this morning something very profound. She was talking about how the scientists were looking at various diseases like um, uh, Alzheimer's. They can determine the cause of Alzheimer's, that cells mutate and they bend or, or different things like that. But what she was saying is she realized that, um, I often talk about the why, that the, the problem with science is that it can't tell us why that happens. Just like age. Now, I look very young for my age, but <laughs> we, all, we all age, right? I used to have hair at one point. If you look back at my, like, senior pictures and stuff, I look like Elvis. But uh, but we all age, but scientists can't tell us why. We shouldn't age. There's no reason for us to age. Our bodies were not created to age. That's the weird part. But every seven years, and I'm not a scientist, nor am I a doctor. I've played one on TV, but not like that. But my understanding is that every seven years, our whole body is supposed to basically completely regenerate all the organs and everything. And yet when it regenerates, it doesn't produce the same type of cells and so on. But they don't know why. And so, Celia was just pointing out that isn't that interesting that we always talk about the why, and getting to the why is the most important reason, the most important thing. And so, when we talk about these things, we're trying to control climate or we're trying to kill babies, we talk about the symptoms very often of how terrible that is and how stupid it is, but we need to get to the why. The why is because we're anti-Torah. Why are we anti-Torah? The truth is we're anti-God. Because where the king has no authority, he has no kingship. You can say, well, God is my king. Do you obey his word? No, he's not your king. See, that's the thing. That's the thing. So it says here, um, once it says a number of bricks fell, and the builders actually sat down and, and, and wailed and cried over it. In fact, it says here that the work stopped that day. They had a day of mourning over bricks. How tall was the tower? Rabbeinu Baca brings down that we can get some idea of the height of the tower by the, using the following account. He says, when God destroyed it, a third of the tower sank into the ground, a third was burned by fire, and a third remained. The remaining third, listen to this, was so high, so tall, that the highest date palms of Jericho, which are like 70 feet tall, appeared to be as small as grasshoppers when you were on top of the tower. Even much later, it was said that a person could walk in the, in the shadow of the remaining part. Remember, a third went down, a third was burned, there's a third left. It says that it would take three days for somebody to walk out of the shadow of that tower. That's how tall this tower was. Mayamawes talks about the fact that what was the root of all of this if I could just share this right quick. What was the root cause of, of, the, of the people wanting to build a tower to, to the first place, in the first place? And it says the, the root cause, because it says the Torah refers to them as B'nai Ha'adam, which means the children of Adam. Mamloez brings down that God was trying to say here that these people were just like Adam in that they were ungrateful. They were ungrateful. Which it goes without saying, many of us know this to be true. If you've been around here for any length of time, you hear me very often encouraging every one of us to practice gratitude. Being sincerely grateful for everything we have. And I know I'm here every day. I live here. But um, I, I, I do this at my home. Sometimes I'll be walking around the house, 
getting this, getting that, and all of a sudden, I'll just kind of stop and take a look around and go, Hashem, thank you for this house. Thank you for this house. And you might be saying, well, my house isn't all that great, or my car isn't all that great. You know what? You know how you get a greater house and a greater car? You be thankful and take care of what you have. If you have a, a jalopy, you had a uh, car that's not any good, it's a hoopty. Hoopty, that's the word I'm looking for. Hoopty. Yeah. Hoopty, there it is. If you have a hoopty and you're like, man, this car, you know what you need to do? You need to be, first of all, thankful for the car. Because some people don't even have a car. You say, well, I've got a hoopty. I guarantee you somebody's got a hoopty worse than that one. We've all had them, right? We've all had hoopties. Boy, I, have, so I got some stories to tell you about some cars I've had. I have cars with built-in smoke screens. <laughs> Environmentalists get mad at me when they saw me driving that 75 Camaro down the road. <laughs> but you, you think, you're thankful for it, and you take care of it. And so I, I was going to say I live here in this building, but I, I often walk around the shul and and we'll just stop and thank God for this place. And you should too. And, it, you know, it, it, it means a little bit more to me and it may mean a little bit more to some of you because I know what it's like not to have a place. I was talking to a pastor just the other day. Um, we, we met out, out, you know, out in town. And anyway, we were just chatting and he's started a church and they were somewhere and they got a 30-day get-out notice out of nowhere for who knows what reason, and they were trying to find a place, and thank God they did find a place, and they rented a place, and I'm just talking to them to totally relate, and I'm totally getting cold chills while I'm talking to him. <laughs> and my eyes starting to squint, and he's like, are you okay? And I said, I just, I just having flashbacks of what it was like to do that. I am so thankful that we have our own place. And look at that parking lot out there. Ah. I'll be talking about the parking lot for like a year. Yeah, so thank God for that. But anyway, it says here, they were ungrateful. And it said, instead of thanking God for a wife, after eating of the tree of knowledge, Adam complained and said, the woman that you gave to be with me, she gave me for this tree and I ate. And God, it says here, the man Lewis says, look, he should have taken, yeah, it's true that she tricked him, but he should have taken responsibility because it was his free choice to resist her wish her wiles. And I've said often time that it was his responsibility to make teshuva for her. So this is what it talks about. The root cause, the root cause of the generation of the Tower of Babel was ingratitude. So it says here, even though people started sinning right after the great flood, the merit of Shem protected them. God gave them a chance. That is, the, numer that's the numerical value of the name Shem is 340. We're going to come back to, to, to Shem in just a second. But I want to say that uh, it says here in Ma'am Loez to chapter 11, verses 6 through 9, that God brought 70 angels at, around his throne together in the, what was the original Sanhedrin and, and Shemayim. And he said, what, we sh what should we do about this? And the angels, they talked to God, and they suggested that he should confound their language because everybody spoke Hebrew at this point. That's true. That's what the sages say. Everybody spoke Hebrew. And they said, the angels said, let's confound their languages, give them 70 languages, and let a, one of the 70 angels be prince over that nation. So God did just that. He gave them 70 languages for the 70 language with the exception of the Jewish people beginning with Abraham. They continued to speak Hebrew and they did not have a prince over them. God was their representative. He was their redeemer. It says the only exception... And Ma'am Loez says, the only exception was the nation of Israel, which was under the personal direction of God himself. Now, I want to ask a question just kind of rhetorically. Do you Noahide much or do you Messianic Gentile much? No, because some people say, I don't want to be a part of, 
I don't be a Jew. I'm a Messianic Gentile. Or they say, I'm a Noahide or whatever. I don't want to, I'm not a Jew. 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 Which means that God is not your personal redeemer and personal protector. No, no. You got to dig in a little bit. Just like I said on the Aliyah day, if you don't want to be called a Jew, you got to ask yourself again the why. Why don't I want to be called a Jew? Because you are directly denying the name of the king over you. So when you say, I don't want to be called a Jew, what are you saying? You're saying, I don't want to be called by the name of the king, which means what? He's not my king. I'm an American or American. Why? Because I, I am subject to the nation of the United States of America. I'm proud of that fact. Although when I go to Israel, I tell people I'm from Texas because they think Texans are like gunslingers. I went to an Israeli checkpoint one time. And they said, where are you from? I said, I'm from Texas. I said, oh, don't mess with Texas. Like, That's right, buddy. That's right. Don't ever tell them it's about the trash. Just say... It says, it's thus written, when the highest one gave nations their inheritance, he separated the children of men, but God kept Israel as his portion. So you say, I'm not a Jew, I'm not an Israeli, I'm not a Hebrew. Oh, so you're not God's portion. Amet brought up the idea of, of let us make a name for ourselves, and he talked about Hashem in the 70 and so on. I just want to land back on that and say that Ma'am Loez, uh, or excuse me, Rebbein Rubaki brings down that the reason the Torah uses Veze and this is to relate the, this to the word Shem. Let us make a name for ourselves. The word Shem, it says here, is in this instance is a reference to the highest emanation known as Keter, the crown. So in this, they wanted to co-op Shem. They didn't want Shem. I want you to pay attention to this. It's probably our last little insight because more to share, but run out of time. But anyway, it says here that they didn't want, remember going back to the environmentalist climate control people? They didn't want Shem. They wanted Elohim. They, Elohim is justice and Shem is mercy. They wanted to separate out Elohim. Why? Because Elohim represents nature. And they wanted everything to be natural. They, wanted, they, were, they were obsessed with the here and the now, the alam hazeh. They wanted everything you could drink and everything you could eat and everything you could wear and everything, every car you could drive and the big house and all that kind of stuff. They wanted that. They didn't have anything concerned for spiritual things. And so today there is a, a, a group, a theological group, I refer to it as a cult, but they have a problem with saying the name Hashem. Sometimes they try to pronounce a divine name, which is crazy, but, but sometimes when they realize that that's not right, they'll, they, they just can't bring themselves to say Hashem. So they'll substitute it with, like you'll hear them say or read in their writings, Elohim. Or they'll say, Yah, praise Yah, praise Elohim, right? And you might be thinking to yourself, well, well, Rabbi, what's wrong with that? Elohim is a legitimate name of God, and Yah certainly is a legitimate name of God. Yes, that's right. I don't care about that. I want to get to the root of the problem. Why do you have a problem with saying Hashem? Because David didn't, and the apostles didn't. And Messiah didn't. And none of the biblical Hebrews did. Biblical heroes. So why do you? Let me, t let me tell you why. You don't even know why. You don't know why. Because like Amet said, it's a rejection of God himself. And especially Elohim, because Elohim means I want to be subject to the earth and not subject to Shemaiah. 
Because Hashem is a name that represents Keter, which means the crown of God. See, I always, always, always have a problem when people have a problem with stuff like that. Because in my nature, I want to go to the root of the problem. What's the problem? What's the problem? You're like, I don't know. I just, it feels wrong to me. Why does it feel wrong? You realize our whole theology is screwed up, but why? Because it comes back to that. People that can say Hashem without, they don't have a screwed up theology. You ever, you ever put those two things together? People that say Hashem are usually normal. It's true. It's true. People that say Hashem are normal. They're not weird. Their faith is mainstream and cool. And people that say things like praise Yah, I'm just saying, don't get mad at me. They're kind of weird. One more thing. Don't get mad at me. I'm going to shoot straight with you always. Basically, man, you know what I'm saying is true, though. You, you know it's true. You, just, you, you would just never say it. That's because you're scared. That's why I'm here and you're sitting down there. That's, cool. That's why. All right? But you're thinking, you're, in your heart, you're going, ooh, I can't believe you said that. You know that's right, right? Yeah, she's weird. One more thing. It says here, basically, this is what they were trying to do. So much we could say about the Tower of Babel. Man, there's so much good stuff. But anyway, basically, man was trying to separate the role of the attribute of Elohim from the role of the attribute of Shem, that is, the Yudke Vavke. God demonstrated to them that such an attempt, if successful, can spell only disaster for them and for the earth. You cannot separate God's mercy from his justice which is what some people try to do on the other side of the theological fence. They want only God's mercy without his justice, and God is saying you have to have both, otherwise things are out of balance and it brings destruction. We say, Baruch haba b'shem Adonai. Amen. 